I took the lead. Where's a good station? Somebody's heart. Glorious. Glorious. Amen. Guardians of Grace. What's wrong? Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to pure grace. Again. Relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. Fenders of Grace. Hello again, everyone. My name's Bill. I'm here with my longtime friend, Steve. And we'd like to welcome you to another edition of the Guardians of Grace podcast. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate the fact that you come and listen to us, we we depend on that. We depend on that. That helps us keep a moving. Tell you what, Steve, I'm, I'm kind of psyched about, maybe psyched isn't a good word for a Christian broadcast, but <laughs> I'm stoked about this podcast because we're getting into, we're going to do some First John 3, and we got a few definitions that are going to bring us back to how to understand First John 3 in a way that I don't hear a lot about. I never understood it this way. I understood it in a way of actually a very scary way. Or I've seen people understand it in a very self-righteous way, too. I'm not going to get into any details, but what I'd like to do is turn it back over to Steve for a little review, and then we can go right into 1 John 3, and we have two New Greek definitions we want to introduce today, don't we, Steve? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And you're right, Bill. We're going to look at First John, the whole letter of First John, actually, in a, we'll call it a unique way, because I've never heard very much preaching on the letter of First John from the angle that we're going to give it. No. So with that in mind, I will do some review because throughout the podcast we laid a foundation that told us we were not under the law but we were under the grace and that the grace was indicating that it was the power of God for our day-to-day life that grace meant much more than God's riches at Christ's expense but it meant that we have the power to live the Christian life by the power of God within us, the nature of God, the Spirit of God. And that led us to quite a few podcasts just about our two natures and how we have a human nature and a divine nature, how we have, we were born of our biological parents and we were also born again of the Spirit of God. And that idea of our two natures is actually the foundation for this letter that we're going to study. Yeah, it is. We need to know and accept the idea of our two natures and what the Bible is teaching us about them. So with that in mind, we will do some reviewing of our two natures. But I think for right now, we'll start off in 1 John 3, 7 through 10. Do you want to do it that way? I tell you what, Steve, let's do 1 John. You said... Seven through ten. Yes. Can I have six? 
Yes, you may. Yes, you may. You may okay. have verse 6 with First John 3, 6 through 10. This is an English standard version, very popular version now. And no one, verse 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteous is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seeds abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Verse 10, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Okay, so are we going to heaven or are we... That's what it seems like. Yeah. But that particular English version, did you notice it made it a little more palatable than the King James Version? It threw in the word practice a lot. It did. It kind of gives you some wiggle worm. <laughs> yeah. No. Let's unpack. Wiggle room. Yeah. Let's unpack what the idea of practice would mean and how it's presented to us as Christians. Before we even get to the definitions, which we are going to get to, right? Yes. Okay. How would you define practice? Well, uh, yeah, right. The, Not a wrong answer. There's not a wrong answer. Just go ahead and try and answer it. The way it's always been depicted to me is if you just keep habitually practicing and practicing and you don't want to repent or you don't feel bad about it, but you just want to do it and you don't care about anything else, then you're practicing sin and you're in trouble. But if you have... You know, you feel bad about it, and you're you're not just practicing it, but but you're conflicted, and you don't want to do it. Then then you're good to go. Well, you know what the problem with your definition was, Steve? It oh, didn't define anything. It it gave us no yeah when no concrete. How many times is practicing? Is five practicing exactly? It's not quantified or qualified. No, it's it's really not. It's up to you. And a person with a weak conscience can, once a month, can be not practicing. But four times a month, they might think it is habitually practicing sin. So I said all that to say that there was a lot of confusion in, in my life because I read this as I needed a definition. Am I Christian? Or am I Rosemary's baby? Yeah, Rosemary's devil? baby. That's funny. That's funny. That's the way I felt. I felt like Rosemary's baby myself. I did not feel pure enough based on my own definition of practicing. I, I, I condemned myself because of this passage. So you defined it to your own condemnation. Yes. It didn't let me off the hook. Me hole. too. Me too. I defined it to my condemnation. And I've known people who define it to their self-righteousness, probably equally or just as bad. Yeah, because if you're, if you feel that you make the grade based on 
this grading curve, then you can literally become a Christian monster and be a self-righteous guy that goes around pointing out everybody else's sin, but you don't practice it. So you're okay. You and God are okay, but they're not. Right. Just compare yourself to them. Yeah. So that's not a good way to overcompensate. Well, the good news is there are some definitions, two Greek words. And boy, do they change the meaning of this passage. Wait until you see this. You're going to be floored. Absolutely floored. And this is going to be, so give us a little patience and we promise it'll be clearer and clearer picture as we, as we go through, as we get these definitions. So there's two definitions, Steve, that are both used. Should I mention them? Yeah, you know them off the top of your head, and then I'll get them. Yeah, one's poieo, and the other one is parazo. Okay, you saw the word practice a lot in in the English standard. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to read, I'm going to give you the definition of parazo. Okay, and this is the Greek lexicon definition of parazo. Yeah. Practice. This is not Bill and Steve's definition. No. By the way, this is the Greek word-for-word definition. Yes. Okay. When you're scholars like us, you look these things up. (laughs) Have you ever been called a scholar, by the way? You've been called a lot of things. No, never a scholar. (laughs) Never a scholar. Me neither. But I did sleep at the Hotel Six one time. (laughs) (laughs) That was a scholarly decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Okay, back on track. Okay, Prazo, Strong's G4238, if you want to look it up yourself. Prazo, pronounced Prazo, it's a verb, to practice, perform repeatedly or habitually, by implication to execute, accomplish, etc., differing from 4160. That's our other definition. You want me to go to that one? Yes, and just make it perfectly clear that this Greek lexicon is saying differing from the next word that we're about to get a definition of. It actually did say that, Steve. Yes. I'll just read it again for inference. Differing from 4160. So, not the same, different. Different. 4160 is a word called poieo, and it means to make or do in a very wide application, more or less direct, properly refers to a single act, thus differing from 4238, which was parazo. Okay. Okay. So they clearly differ from one another. In the Greek lexicon, one says poieo is nothing like parazo, and parazo is nothing like poieo. They are polar opposites. Okay, so let's go back to 1 John 3. And read it with the understanding that the Greek lexicon gives us. Okay. To let's make do sure that. we've got it right. 1 John 3, starting in verse 7, going back to the English Standard Version, very popular version now. Okay, and we're going to interject the actual Greek lexicon into there. We are. Okay. Verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices 
righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Okay, so what word is practices righteousness right now? Would that be poieo or parazo? Well, parazo, Greeks, Strong's 4238, is to practice, perform repeatedly or habitually, as opposed to poieo, which properly refers to a single act. Yeah. Which one would it be? Do, 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 do. The answer is not prazo. It's not prazo, and you would think it would be, but it's poieo commits a single act of, of righteousness. Correct. A single act of righteousness. So let me go to verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. Okay, and what is that word in the Greek that was translated practices? Prazo. Prazo. Okay, so that is practicing. But the ESV got it backwards. It should be the one who commits a single act of righteous. Anyone who commits a single act of righteousness is righteous. And whoever commits a single act of sin is of the devil. Single act. Single act. Not practice. Never has been practiced. The Bible is telling us whoever commits a single act of righteousness is of God. And whoever commits a single act of unrighteous is not of God. Single. Can I say that loud enough? Single act. That's what the Bible is telling us. Not what you hear out of the pulpit. You hear practice, practice, practice. I've heard that all my life. Whoever practices, if you practice, you're in trouble. If you just do it a single time, you're okay. But the Bible is saying a single time. So where does that leave us? Not just the pulpit, Steve. It's right there in the ESV. And I have no problem with the English Standard Version of the Bible. It's a very good Bible to me. Easy to read. But it missed it. It said practice when it should have said commits a single act. So you kind of see the importance of these two words and translating it according to these two definitions would make it clear. But... The problem is when you translate it according to these definitions and you don't have an understanding that we've been reviewing over the last several podcasts about the two natures, you get into that problem we talked about so many times where you're looking at Joe's a Christian and John's not a Christian. Or Steve is a Christian or not a Christian. And I always came up with, gosh, I'm not a Christian. But this one is scary. Mm -hmm. Because it makes you doubt whether you're even a Christian. It becomes real scary when it says, if I even commit one single sin, I'm not a Christian then. That's why they translated practice Practice. to give you a little. Yeah. And watering it down is not good either. It's not good. You can just as easily water it up, (laughs) I guess. Yes. And watering it down just veils this unbelievable reality that the letter of First John is talking about. It First John is talking and picturing a concept that is so stinking cool, 
and the concept is never ever mentioned in modern day commercial Christianity because because we watered down this passage and called it practicing when it's commit one single sin commit one single sin puts a veil over the true meaning of the passage which we will get into in no uncertain term it's going to be good news actually steve when we when we get this and we when we see what it's really talking about it's pretty cool it shows the importance for translating these things accurately so for now we're going to shelf this unbelievable reality that getting these two words right reveals to us. We're going to come back to that. Believe me, I promise you that we will come back and you'll see this reality for what it is and it will blow your mind. But for now, we're going to dig a little deeper or unpack a little bit more these two Greek words that are so important and so mistranslated. I think we should go to Romans chapter 7 now. You think it would be? That's a great place because both words are used. There again, both words are used in Romans chapter 7. We'll be looking at 14 through the end of the chapter. So let's just look at one verse at a time. Okay. For I do not understand what I am doing, for I do not do what I want. Instead, I do what I hate. Okay, and this is Paul speaking. This is Paul speaking, that where it says, I do what I hate. What do you think, Steve? Prazo or poieo? A single time poieo or habitually practice prazo? So if he's saying, I never do what I want to do, but I always do what I don't want to do, for him to be saved as a Christian he, he would have to say, I always do what I want to do, and I never sin. But that's not what it sa- says. It, he says, I never do one single time, poieo, what I want to do, and I always prazo, practice the very evil I hate, as opposed to the modern translation, which reverses that. Correct. The actual Greek says, I never, ever do what I want to do. Not a single time. Not a single time. And I practice what I don't, which, according to the modern-day preaching, would condemn Paul. He's in big trouble, and so am I, because I can, I can relate to Paul. I'm in the same boat as Paul, and probably so are you. And we've gone to great lengths to stick with tradition here. Some of the traditions I've heard were, well, this is talking about Paul before he was a Christian, even though there's so much in Romans 6, which is before 7. A lot of preachers say that. Just pull it out of context. Yeah. Put it in a different criteria so we can preserve our this is a Christian, this is not a Christian. But let's leave it in context, Steve. Because 
if we use the Greek definitions again, we unveil an unbelievable reality about Paul that he's not talking about Joe does this and John does that. It's not talking about that at all. It's talking about Paul in his human capabilities, in his human abilities. Exactly. So let's leave it in context, Steve. What's he gone to great lengths to talk about? I'll tell you what he's gone to great lengths to talk about. He's gone to great lengths to talk about the failures of his human nature in playing with these words practice and do it one time veils the idea that he's talking about his human nature. He said in his human nature, the good that he wishes to do, he does not do poieo one single time. Mm -hmm. In the evil that he wishes not to do, he parazos habitually does it. He practices it. That is the truth of the matter. In our human nature, we practice sin habitually. In our divine nature, we don't do it one single time. This is the point we're trying to get across. Now let's go back to 1 John 3 and take a look at it, knowing about our two natures. Great point. Okay, so I'm going to read 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as Jesus is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for the purpose that he might destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now, let me just say they did not have the right to say practice in that bit of text at all because the word prazo was not there. Not once. Not once. Not not poieo. Not, not a single one time. single time. The word poieo was there several times. Let me read it using the word poieo. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who poieo commits one act of righteousness is righteous just as Jesus is righteous. The one who poieo, who commits one single sin, is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for the purpose that he might destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God, poieos, commits one single sin because God's seed abides in him. He cannot sin not one single time, because he has been born of God. So this says you're either perfect or you're not. That is the truth that this passage is saying. And when you water it down to say practices, you 
allow everybody to feel good about themselves, but you veil an unbelievable truth. The unbelievable truth that I said that we would shelf, well, we're going to take it off the shelf now. We're going to unpack this truth. Okay, Lord, allow me to to proclaim this truth boldly and clearly as I should. The only thing that makes 1 John 3, 7 through 10 make sense is when you realize or you understand that he is saying, children, let no one deceive you. The entity who is born of God never commits one sin. The thing that has been born from above never commits one single sin. The spirit that's been placed in us never commits a single sin. Just like Paul was trying to say in Romans 7, he said, I find that no good thing dwells in me that is in my human effort. For the wishing to do a single act of good is present in me, but the doing of a single act of good is not. And the good that the single act of good that I wish to do, I do not do, but I practice habitually, parazo, habitually, the very thing that I do not will to do. So where's the deception, Steve? Isn't it in in this translation, for one? Let the little children do not let anyone deceive you by throwing in the word practice in there? It, it's easy to not be deceived if you translate it right and you then begin to realize he's talking about your human nature and your spirit. He's not talking about you who are called a Christian because in 1 John 2, 1, he said, now, little children, see what a great love God has lavished on us that you should be called the children of God. And as Christians, we are called the children of God. But this is talking about the spirit, the one born of God, the one born from above, the one born again, the one that Jesus said, spirit gives birth to spirit and humans give birth to humans when he was talking to Nicodemus. Well, the spirit that was given birth to in you never commits one single act of sin, but your human nature is the source of of failure. It's the source of embarrassing yourself. Two things to say there, Steve. If you're not deceived, if you're un- if you're understanding that your old nature never commits a single act of righteousness and habitually practices sin, and your new nature cannot commit a single sin and habitually practice, you will you will not be deceived. No one can deceive you. If you get that one truth in your mind, the very truth that first John That's what is, I was trying to say. Yeah. is trying to tell you and Paul is trying to tell you. They're both in perfect harmony. They're both trying to say the same thing. They are saying the same thing. And it's important because if you have the wrong you know, I sound like I'm harping against the, some of these English Bible translations. I'm not a Bible conspiracy translation person, so don't think that at all. 
I, I think they did it for because they thought they were being helpful. But what they thought was being helpful has thrown us into confusion. And it's not able, it's allowed us not to, or not allowed us to clearly define what the Spirit of God or the part of you that is born again or born from above or born from God or born in the Spirit is perfect. And it's also got you to deceived in thinking that there might be some good thing in your flesh and that your flesh could get better and better. And that's that's the danger. That's what causes futility. That's what causes people to quit going to church. That's what causes all kinds of condemnation thoughts, or on the other hand, causes all kinds of self-righteous attitudes. But when we clearly understand what these two definitions mean and what John and Paul are actually saying, he's getting you to depend on this new nature that you have that is incapable of sinning. And you're depending on something that'll never fail you is what you're doing. It's a fantastic, glorious revelation. It's a fantastic, glorious truth that the Bible is teaching us, but we have to get the words right, or that truth remains veiled, and we come up with a a whole host of pure confusion about the passages, and we make up things that are are just plain goofy, and they don't register at all. They They don't line up with the arguments that we're giving to them. They don't even, if, if you just dissect the arguments, they don't hold up. It's all just off. It's all bogus. It's just bogus. But the truth is, if we understand that they're talking about our human nature and our divine, spiritual, God-given spirit, Jesus Christ in us nature, then we can go on to unlock the book of First John. We can unlock the first book of First John. Did you know that First John is, is a book written about a single subject, one single subject that is such a dose of wisdom, you can carry that wisdom for the rest of your life. And I think it's time for us to maybe look at what the book of First John is actually talking about. I agree. It, it, just to finish my thought, which I did kind of, but I said, if we don't understand this clear definition, when we do understand it, we'll depend on the new nature that'll never let us down, as opposed to depending on the old nature or our flesh that will never, ever help us. So that's why these definitions are so important, because we see that the new nature never fails us, and the old nature never does anything for us. That's actually what First John chapter 3, 7 through 10 says in no uncertain terms. It says your human nature will let you down. It'll be the source of everything embarrassing in your life. And the spirit that is in you, the thing born of God, will create everything that you like about yourself. And all the behaviors that you want to see, all the characters that you want to see yourself produce, will be produced by the spirit that is within you. And in this case, it's called the child of God. 
It's just a synonymous description of your spirit, which is what we were going to do. We were going to get a running start and look at our two natures in the Gospels and the other epistles. But I think maybe we should just go on. What do you think, Bill? I think so. Do you want to maybe get touch on the First John 1 with the whole purpose of? Yeah, the purpose of, of the letter. I think we should tackle it. Okay. Let's go to First John and the purpose. Okay. First John 1 and starting in verse 3. He's saying, What we've seen and heard, we proclaim to you also that you also may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that our joy may be complete. The reason we did all this is to get to this question. How is their joy made complete? You want to answer that, Steve? Sure, sure, sure. A couple observations to make before we answer that question. First, The Apostle John is telling the people in this letter that he wants to explain all about Jesus, the person that he ministered for the last couple of years, so that the people around him could have fellowship with him and that he could have fellowship with God and his son. Notice that he doesn't say, you can have fellowship with me and I'm having fellowship with you. He doesn't say that at all. He says, I want to have fellowship with God in his son when you have fellowship with me. I don't want to fellowship with you as a human being. I want to fellowship with God through you when we fellowship. So I'm going to write you this letter to teach you how to make your joy complete when you're fellowshipping with one another. And that's what the whole letter of 1 John is about how to have complete joy when you're fellowshipping with one another. He, he says, I tell you about this man, Jesus, so that you can have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son. The Father and his Son through you is what he wants to fellowship with. He wants to fellowship with the Spirit through you. And this is what makes your joy complete when you fellowship with one another. The letter is actually crystal clear. He's going to tell you how to make your joy complete when you fellowship with one another. And it's by fellowshipping spirit to spirit, by fellowshipping with God, the father of the universe and his son through whoever is in the same room with you. You don't want to fellowship with their human nature. In other words, no one wants to fellowship with Steve in his human nature. That doesn't make your joy complete. Not if it doesn't do a single good thing like we just read. (laughs) Right, right. Perfect. Or it habitually habitually practices the bad thing. Who wants to fellowship with that guy? Exactly, exactly. That's the whole point right there. That's the letter of First John in a nutshell. How to make your joy complete when you're fellowshipping. And First John 3, 7 through 10 was just telling you that the Spirit of God that's coming through a person when you're fellowshipping never, ever sins. He poyeos. He 
He never commits one act of sin. Not one. That's why it's so important to get those words right, because then you see that we're talking about the hu- the spiritual nature never, ever sins. And you can tell when you're fellowshipping with the spiritual nature, and that's what will make your joy complete. Exactly, Steve. He's not talking about... First John wasn't written to say this person's a Christian and this person's not a Christian. And you can tell if they're a Christian because they don't practice sin all the time, but occasionally they sin, but most of the time they do good. And that's what we've made out of the letter of First John. That's why we went right to the heart of understanding the person born of God does not commit a single sin but habitually practices righteousness and the person not born of god does not do a single good thing but habitually practices sin that's why he said it for fellowship purposes not to judge someone that that guy's a christian or not a christian so if you don't see it that way you get if you don't see first john one right why he's writing to you then you're never going to get back on the right path. You're going to to go to this other teaching and say, well, first John was, this is a Christian. Or the Gnostics. (laughs) Yeah, there's another one. (laughs) What a load of crock. He was addressing a Gnostic heresy. Right, right. It had nothing to do with Gnosticism. Those people don't even know what the word Gnosticism means, and they, they say it with all the authority they can muster. So they're agnostic about their Gnosticism. Yeah, they're agnostic. That's funny, Bill. That's funny. (laughs) So isn't that cool, though, Steve? It's such a simple letter. It's such a... And it harmonizes. With everything in the Bible from the Old Testament through the Gospels. And we're going to look at that. We'll look at how Jesus was saying the same thing about the two natures. And we'll look at how Paul was saying the same thing about the two natures. And we'll look at how First John just tells us about our two natures and how to spot one or the other. So sad because First John has re- been reduced to uh, anti-Gnostic heresy, correction, or the other big one is the Christian soap. The first, first John one nine. First John one nine too. We'll have to get into First John one nine. That's hilarious. That's a whole podcast in itself. We will. We will. That's funny. That's funny. And the Gnostic Heresy is a podcast yeah, in itself, yeah. probably too. Yeah. Although yeah. I don't want to spend a lot of time on something that doesn't exist. And and like James, it's called the the letter of the nuts and bolts. This is where the rubber meets the road in 1 John. um, This is the practical letter. This is where your Christianity is spelled out for you. Or the hoof meets the dust, as they used to say in cowboy days. (laughs) I never heard that one before. I just made it up. (laughs) That's funny. That's funny. The camel hoof hits the dust. (laughs) A little first century Christianity for you there. Yeah, a little first century humor. No, I'm I'm really glad and it's you know what it's it's worth doing these definitions, isn't it, Steve? Absolutely. It it's better to understand what the Bible really is telling us because that's where it gets fantastic. Making stuff up about the Bible 
is, is not so fantastic. Fit. Reminds me of something Jesus said, and we brought it up a few times. I, I think it's in Mark 7, 12, 7, 12, 13, 11, somewhere around there. Jesus said, your traditions make the word of God of no effect. And when you start throwing traditions like habitually or practice yeah, instead exactly. of a single time, it makes the letter of First John 3, it makes First John 3, 9 and 10 of no effect. No, it veils the truth that it's telling you how to recognize the spirit so that you can fellowship with it and have your joy complete. Amen. Yeah. So we just wanted to bring out this one truth about First John. And we're going to make a like a three or four part series about First John, but we'll leave it you here with this one thought, ending this one thought. Have you ever considered that the letter of First John is teaching you how to make your joy complete when you fellowship with one another by spotting whether you're fellowshipping with the Spirit or you're fellowshipping with somebody in their own human nature, trying as they may to be pleasing to you and being a good friend around you, just failing miserably. Just read First John one time with this new lens and tell me if it doesn't begin to make sense. Over the next coming podcast, we will give you some examples that the letter of First John brings out and we'll show you that indeed it is talking about our human nature or our spirit. You don't have to pick daisies with your salvation. You don't have to wonder if you're saved or not. I think you'll really enjoy this podcast and I think you'll really enjoy reading the letter of First John once you have listened to this podcast. And I just going to end in a prayer, Steve. I pray that we would all be encouraged in heart, united in love, that we may have the full riches of complete understanding, that we may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's our prayer for you guys. That's our prayer for us. And so we'll sign off with another podcast of the Guardians of Grace. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. you.